Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Imagine if you could dry, detangle, style, and volumize your hair all in one step. Well, it's easy with the Not Doctor All-in-One Dryer Brush by Conair. Create beautiful blowout styles at home with a powerful 1,000-watt motor for quick drying and easy glide Flexalite bristles for snag-free detangling. Customize styling with three heat settings and use the cool shot to lock in your look. Ionic technology reduces frizz. Bonus attachment volumizes your hair. Makes a great gift for yourself or someone special. Go to Conair.com for the Not Doctor All-in-One Dryer Brush now. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host Manuel Feit and as always I'm joined by the man in Siberia, Andrew Flint. Andrew, how are you doing? How is the weather over there? I, I looked recently on the app and um, I, I think I saw minus 35 or something insane like that. I, I couldn't believe it. It was, it was way too cold <laughs> to even think about. So how oh, is it going over there? Well, um, Firstly, the weather is positively tropical. It was above zero today. Um, That's a lie. I had for the first time. <laughs> no, no. I'm looking out the window now, and the snow is actually melting. But this is only the first of five times it melts and freezes again. Um, first time in five years, though, yesterday, my car battery didn't start um, because it was too cold. So to go from too cold for a car to start to over zero, that tells you how nuts it is here. But um, it, it, it's slightly worrying times, actually, to be honest. Um, Tumen has been announced as Russia's official um, quarantine place for the coronavirus for people coming into Russia. So they're basically all being bussed to a hostel about 30 kilometers outside the city. So thanks a lot, everybody. Coronavirus is being concentrated on my city now. <laughs> so cold, even the I coronavirus the, the... doesn't want to be there. <laughs> I hope that well, doesn't I'm interject no, your but... passion for Sibirska Corona beer. Uh, no, no, not a chance. They're, there's no way I'm going to allow them anywhere near the brewery. So don't worry about that, Tim. That is not that's unshakable. That. <laughs> yeah, you already heard Tim. Tim, um, honestly, it's almost the same temperature here than it is where Andrew is. I mean, it, it must be some parallel universe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Football Grad Parallel Universe. Yeah, hello, 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 everyone. Thank you for tuning in. This is another episode, and it's going to be great. And yeah, the weather in Vancouver was questionable. I was not sure if I went to Maine or in Vancouver. Did you drive? Yeah, I did. Oh, actually, it wasn't that bad. We had uh, for the uh, all the... Which doesn't happen often in Vancouver. It's it's almost gone already, so it usually yeah, we get it for, for a day or two, and then it's gone. Mm. Uh, but yeah, today the roads were bad at all and uh so i drove to work and it was great brave man who drives in british columbia when it snows i have to say that he's a little insane he's all tim um also andrew here's my little thought on the coronavirus and the uh the beer alcohol is a disinfectant so well should be good with that but boys yeah, we'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh we have some stuff to talk about and um you know, we always we always start a podcast thinking that we're going to do a brief one. I, I'm sort of optimistic that this time we can do it, but of course we'll see. <laughs> uh, it start with a man. 
who is uh, famous for failed transfers and dating the daughters of uh, or granddaughters of former Russian presidents, Fedor Smolov. <laughs> um, boys, he's finally got his move abroad. I mean, in fairness, this is his second second time abroad because he's played in uh, in the Netherlands for Feyenoord. But um, he's he's finally after lots and lots of transfer links to clubs like West Ham, Dortmund. I I think you name a club in Western Europe. Uh, Fedor Smolov was probably linked to that club, and he's finally gotten his move. Um, we saw him on day before transfer deadline day. By the way, my first transfer deadline day working at Transfermarkt, it was borderline insane. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I think I worked 16 hours straight. I think I pulled, pushed out 20 articles. It was, yeah, it was, it was a neat experience. Can't believe I'm doing that for the rest of my life. But for Peter <laughs> Smolov, it was a little different because he just hung out in London. And we were all like, whoa, what's this? What's going on with Peter Smolov? Where is he going? And um, he's not going to London. Um, it, that just seemed to be the place where he got his transfer done to drum roll Spain Celta de Vigo Tim I'm gonna go with you because you watch La Liga um yeah your thoughts on this um yes this is an interesting transfer just a little bit give a brief idea further small of if uh, the listeners are not familiar he is very very talented Russian uh, football player who started his career at Dynamo uh, then he had a very very dire spell in Andre and he didn't score for a very very long time then Andrews club Oral really um, re restarted his career and he became a you know and again the one of the top strikers in Russia. Then he really hit his prime in Krasnodar, where he was the best uh, goal scorer in the league. He was really the, the, the main player in Krasnodar. He was the player of that team. And then uh, he was so really, he was really, really attractive um, uh, player in, in, in transfers. And that's where the Dortmund and West Ham rumors came through. And those two rumors were pretty serious because, yeah, those rumors actually were, were happening. Um, and then he had a pretty disappointing World Cup. And after that, all the interest from Europe really was gone. His dream was to play in um, Champions League. That's why he didn't really go to West Ham. Uh, and he was considering Dortmund. Uh, but after his fail at the World Cup, there was no absolutely interest from Europe. So he had to go to the Champions League club, club which was Lokomotiv Moscow, where he played two seasons in the Champions League. And to me, it looks like he already kind of tried everything. But his dream really was to play uh, in Europe, except... He spent like this little short spell at Feyenoord in, in Netherlands, but he really wanted as a experienced player to experience uh, the foreign leagues and like the, that approach. So he went to Celta Vigo on loan. That's not a permanent deal. There's an option to uh, make it a per permanent deal. I watch uh, La Liga, like Manu said, and I know quite well what's happening. Um, I think this is a really strange transfer, especially after compared like you know of interest to West Ham and Dortmund and he ends up at Celta Vigo but I also know the team how Celta plays and um, usually we know that Fedor Smolom really does well when he is the main striker than he like he was in Krasnodar. Celta already has this man this is uh, Iago Aspas who is the absolute legend who is the main player in Celta Vigo. And uh, I'm really curious to see how this will be done because they also have other good players. They have Sisto on the on the side. Um, they also have Santimina, who is an experienced La Liga, uh, La Liga forward. And really, we know that uh, Fedor Smolov is not really productive when he plays on the side. He needs to be the center forward. Uh, 
so I'm really curious how this how this will be sold, how they will figure out between himself and Aspas, uh, how Santimina will come into play. How because Ferosmolov is also he's just after the break he's not physically ready to play uh, 90 minutes and Celta they're really battling the relegation they're really the results right here right now so this will be very very interesting um, to be quite honest uh, I think it's a questionable transfer because really like I'm I'm really struggling and not sure where uh, Ferosmolov fits. But if he will help Celta Viga to uh, save from relegation, he will be here. He's not going to be like uh, Tsar, like Alexander Mastavoy. He's not going to be like Karpin, who two Russian legends who played in Celta. But if he will help them to stay in La Liga, he will be very important. So good luck to Fedor. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of strikers on that squad. I'm just you yeah. know, um, making the most of the, the resource of working at Transfermarkt. And I'm looking <laughs> at the, the, the in-depth squad list here and... They have a guy from, from Uruguay, Gabriel Fernandez. They have uh, Santimina, who they brought in from Valencia. Then they have Iago Aspas, who you, who you already mentioned, right? Who's a very big name at that club. And then, of course, Fedor Smolov. Uh, I mean, I look I look at their latest lineup. Um, they started against Valencia with Fernandez and Aspas um, up front. And then uh, Fernandez came off for Smolov. Um, mm -hmm. And then they added another striker. I mean, as <laughs> It's a lot of players in that squad, and uh, brought also in brought in Suarez. Um, I think on the deadline day, actually, one of the transfers that we covered. So, I mean, this this is this is a side with a lot of depth. As you said, they're struggling with relegation, three points, although they're only like one point behind uh, Mallorca, right? Who are on 17th for just the last non-relegation spot. It's it's an interesting one because. He's essentially gone from Russia to Spain, to one of the best leagues, maybe the best league in the world, right? And um, to a club that is, Celta Vigo is a club that a lot of people around the world know quite well. They had a very good run in the Europa League recently as well, but also a club that is currently in trouble. Now, Andrew, you know Fido Smolov quite a lot. We know he's a little bit of, he can be a bit of a sensitive soul. Um, you know, Tim on our last show described mm. him as a thinker. Relegation fight is a lot different than playing for Champions League spots. Well, it is. It certainly is. And I agree with what Tim says about him being, well, it's probably true of a lot of players, but probably particularly so of, of Mr. Small, if he needs to be the central figure to get the most out of him. But I just get the feeling he... Um, I don't think his motive... I don't mean this as an insult to him, but I don't think his motivation is the same as it was. You know, he's had his moment as the, the star of the Russian League. He was top goal scorer for two seasons, player of the season, two seasons in a row. Um, and he's probably unlikely at this age, at the age of 29, really be the main striker for Russia again. Artem Zuba's got that sewn up for at least the next couple of years. And and he just isn't quite the sort of forward that Stanislav Chichesov seems to favour. So I don't think he's really that... I don't think he's really that bothered anymore. You know, when you think as well that, you know, like Tim mentioned, the what really kick-started his career was a relegation dogfight. Now, that was a totally different aspect of his career. He, at that point, had only scored something like five or six goals in the last seven years of his career. It was just ridiculous. Um, was it seven goals in five years? It was something ridiculous anyway. Uh, then he needed it to boost his career. Now, 
I think he'll be more relaxed about it. I don't think he is going to be the main striker, but I don't think it's going to bother him too much. Uh, like you say, he's got his uh, impending nuptials next year. Um, like you say, he's already had his moment in the in the spotlight. He's not going to be the main striker for Russia again. He will be in the Russian squad, but he's, he's not going to be the leading light. So I think, to be honest, his focus has changed. And I don't think it's all that bad a thing. Uh, I just hope he gets what he wants out of this loan move. And I, I actually am positive it will be slightly more productive than most people think it will be. We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, they're playing... Uh, Sevilla on Sunday, match day 23. Um, that's the, the Sunday kickoff, February 9th. Curious to see if he's going to get the start. As I said, um, Celta de Vigo really looking for, for every point that they can get right now. Um, Tim, maybe final thoughts on this in the relegation battle. It, it you, you have you know a couple of other big sides down there Mallorca of course promoted um we have uh, we know Steve Nash is like involved in that right our basketball legend from, from Vancouver he's one of the owners um and then of course Espanyol who have done quite well last year but have really struggled um with the Europa League action how, how big do you think the chances are of staying alive in this you know Celta actually has a good chances because there are two teams which are definitely worse than them. It's Leganes and Mallorca. Leganes has a little bit of a revival recently, but to be honest, uh, their squad is nowhere close to, uh, to Celtas and nowhere close to experience. So my money on getting relegated is Mallorca and Leganes. And then Espanyol, who is a very experienced club, a very strong, um, uh, uh, strong squad, uh, but they are dead last. But uh, they just got uh, their new coach, Abelardo, who already saved Alaves a couple of years ago and really changed this team around. So he is known as somewhat a specialist who can turn situation around. And under Abelardo, Espanyol really uh, improved. So I think it will be it will come down to uh, the uh, to the difference between Espanyol and um, and Celta. How I see that. And then we have uh, also a few clubs. which are about six points uh, away from uh, relegation, Eibar, Alaves, Valladolid, and Ante. Those teams have been significantly better this season, and I don't really see them uh, getting into that dogfight. So I think it will be really between uh, Celta and Espanyol, um, Mallorca and Liganes, to be honest. Even there, above those two teams, I don't see them uh, being. So it's not, if you take a look at, at this situation like this, pretty much, there's a league of four, and you need to win this league, and Celta is only one 
point behind Mallorca and Nagana. So I think it's everything is is up to them. Having such an experienced player like Iago Alspas, who is who is the who is the clutch, and he said so many. He started his career with Celta of saving them from relegation. That was his first appearance at the team, and he saved them many times last year. Um, that having him, it's it's a big, big, big plus to Celta. So I'm positive in Celta, but I don't I don't think it will be that easy. So hopefully for the small that and he will stay um, help Celta stay in La Liga. Yeah, we'll keep our eyes on that, boys. Developing story, um, story that we're gonna you know follow throughout the rest of the season with uh, a small of being in Spain. Um, but yeah, we got to move on, <laughs> Andrew. Uh, this this story makes me laugh because um, we all thought Alexander Kogorin is gonna go to um, this boy has no luck. I, I mean, first the jail time, then he was supposed to be uh, sent to the sanatorium down in Sochi, then he refused to go to the sanatorium in Sochi to play for um, Zenit's farm team there, and now he is being sent to <laughs> Zenit too. Um, I mean. Just let the boy out of jail. <laughs> let him play. I mean, come on. Uh, am I reading this right? Eleven thousand a month minimum wage. This is rubles, I assume. Um, yeah. Well, I, what what I what I what I've been told is that he's um, he. I, personally, I feel I agree with you. I, I have a lot of sympathy for Forker and I think he's been thrown under the bus, quite frankly, because the a loan move to Sochi we discussed it a bit last uh, last pod it makes sense for Sochi it makes sense possibly even for Gazprom management you know they take a potentially negative headline out of the Zenit limelight for the time being uh, and get the get boys in game time but for the for Kokorin himself for Zenit it, it it doesn't really make much sense i suppose they don't desperately need him um they've won the title uh, basically, and they don't really have much other than the Russian Cup to focus on other than that. But, I mean, it, it, they're ba- they, they've got to make a decision, really, in my mind. Either they they accept he's done his jail time and they're willing to play him, or they sell him. I'm in limbo. Don't punish. This is humiliation. Even I earn more than, than Kukorin at the moment. So that, that really is quite spectacular. Um yeah, I, I think it's I think it's all a bit silly, really, and uh, and it also it make it makes it makes the Gazprom management come out of this looking very very bad in my eyes because it makes it even clearer. I know we already knew it; they control a lot of the transfers between Zenit and Sochi, but they are clearly their own interest ahead of the player or the clubs. So uh, I don't really see how they're gonna they're gonna come out of this looking much better. So. Um, anyway, it's a shame. I, I want to see Kukorin play. Uh, I know we've covered this for a long time. We've laughed and giggled at the, the length of this sentence and how it's been received and everything. But in all seriousness, he has served his time. I'm not entirely sure he's overly contrite about it. I think he's not shown a great deal of remorse. But then again, he has served his time. What's the point of a jail sentence if afterwards you're not allowed to re-enter society? Um Anyway, we'll see what happens, but um, I, I I think we'll see a lot of bids come in for Kukorin, um before transfer window closes. Yeah, contact and, is up um, in the summer, twenty twenty. Yeah, and uh, the bids already coming in, and there's a very strong link between uh, he uh, Kukorin and uh, Lokomotiv. Lokomotiv just lost further Smolov to Celta Vigo, like we just discussed. 
they missing a striker. Kakorin is sent to Zenit 2. Um, Kakorin started his career in Lokomotiv when, like, when in, in academy or something. So there's a link. So that uh, transfer uh, looks absolutely, absolutely doable. I mean, doable in terms of like realistic, because boy, Kakorin wants to play. He looks like he burned the bridges with Zenit by not going to Sochi, by pretty much not uh, complying with what the management told him to do. He was the punishment to Zenit too. He's not obviously gonna play in that league for eleven thousand rubles. Uh, if the bid for from Lokomotiv comes on, I think he will just gladly go there. Yeah, I I, I think so too. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, boys, I really have to make I really have to stop uh, making you write the sheets um, for for or for a podcast. You know, I used to do that, and then my transfer mark job kind of took over. But what did you guys put down here? I mean, what is next? He has a sex change operation and becomes an astronaut. Who wrote this down, boys? Come on. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, mean, I just—I I wrote this at uh, sort of two o'clock in the morning, and I just thought, Christ alive, Paul, what what is going to happen to Kakoi? Literally everything, you know, be, be, beating up somebody in the street, getting drunk on a train, prison, Sochi, not Sochi. I mean, it, the the poor man—he's who who knows what's going to happen next to him. Um, yeah, that that was more the the that was more two in the morning talking than common sense. But the point, the the basic point, I was I was trying to make is. The, the Kokorin um, roadshow rolls on, really, and who knows where it's going to end up. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, but, Andrew, good that I have you here, <laughs> um, because the next thing that you wrote down makes a lot more sense, is uh, Krasnodar <laughs> get a, a get, finally getting a women's team. Um, they have announced a women's team. You know, We think we spoke two weeks about um, more Russian clubs shooting, should uh, announce women's teams. So this is a really good step in the right direction. What can you tell us about this? Well, yeah, I mean, basically, Krasnodar have been um, pressured by the Russian Football Union for some time, actually, to to get a women's team out. And they have solid financial backing, as we know. Um, Sega Galitsky's attention is all on the football club after he's sold his majority shareholding of Magneto. So God knows how much was. Um, so I think it makes a lot of sense because... I know it's going to sound a bit cynical, but it is easy, positive PR for clubs to say, look, we're promoting women's football. And quite frankly, I don't have a problem with that because it's got to start somewhere. And if the big clubs put out good teams, then all the other big clubs will follow suit. I think now what we'll see is pretty much all the major clubs, if they haven't already, um, establishing teams. So, yeah, across that, I've uh, said they'll be entering a side, they'll be using the ridiculously good training centre that they have, one of the best training facilities in Russia, certainly in Russia, if not the world even. Um, so I think it's a hugely positive step and I'm really looking forward to seeing how big the Women's Super League will be in Russia because at the moment it's only eight teams in the top flight. Um, Tiska and Lokomotiv were uh, were strong teams last year. Um, Sivosta Pierm have been in the Champions League, Women's Champions League the last few years. Um, but then at the other end of that scale, we've seen Yensei Krasniask's team, um, the women's team who were rock bottom of the standings last season, I think it was. And the only way anybody heard of them was because they 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 made a nude calendar. Um, and, I mean, that's, that tells you the level we're talking. Um, only eight teams down and you've got that level of attention. That's the only way they could they could get anybody to pay attention to them, get the big clubs coming in, and hopefully we'll see a different picture. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think it should be almost mandatory for teams that, you know, how they in, in UEFA, they have this rule that if you play in Champions League, this they you have to field a, a youth team to play um, in the UEFA Youth League. I think it should be almost mandatory that if you if you reach, um, if, it should be mandatory for any club in Europe if they want to have a license to play in the Europa League or Champions League to also have a women's team. That would solve yeah, that problem 100%. right there. You know, because all of a sudden clubs are like, oh, we have to invest in this. And if you're investing in this, we want something back from it. And if we want something back from it, we're going to make sure that, that the investment is right. I, I think that would be the easiest solution, to be honest, because all of a sudden you have every team in Europe investing in the women's football and that, that would just do wonders for the game. Um, yeah. Apparently, the other thing as well you've got to remember is that the level of investment needed just to get a team off the ground. Yeah, it is. It is a it is a chunk that needs to be put in, but it's not a huge amount when you look at the as a proportion of what big major clubs across Europe actually spend on an annual basis. So I really think that sort of rule shouldn't be that difficult to I implement. Mean, and once everybody is in the same boat. The investment will be there. I've seen, uh, you know, some of the transfers that we covered that English Premier League clubs did. I mean, they, they, I was yeah. in West Ham. They spent 20 million pounds on a guy named Bowen that I've never even heard of. He like maybe scored like a couple of goals down in the championship. I mean, come on. If you can invest money on a player that is the equivalent of a bag of chips in every other league, you can invest money into a women's football team. It sounds yeah, really yeah, harsh, 100%. but I mean, like the amount of money wasted in some of those top leagues is mind-boggling. So if you can, well, it, yeah. yeah, I mean, if you, if you if you think around the world, um, Leon's women's team have the by far the biggest investment in, well, in, outside the US certainly, anyway. Um, but really, there aren't a lot of other major projects. Manchester City's women's team um, are ambitious; they spent a lot of money. Um, yeah, I mean, there is a, there's a there's a smattering of clubs at best. And, and even then, you know, Manchester United only started a women's team two years ago. They're already the top of the women's Super League in England. And that is one of the more well-established women's leagues um, around Europe. So, you know, you, you look into the second level, um, the uh, Women's Super League 2, um, I think it's about a 12-team league, if I'm right in thinking. And some of the teams at the bottom end of that are not fully professional still. Um, I believe they are trying to be. Uh, that's the that's the aim the FA are trying to implement. So basically, my point is that the level of investment, like you say, Manu, as a proportion of what clubs spend in obscene amounts on agent fees and transfer fees and mm. God knows what else, it shouldn't be that difficult. Now, in Russian football, I would simply I wouldn't say it's actually that different, just simply on a different scale um, relative to what Lokomotiv might save by not buying you know a five million pound player, spend five million pounds, and that will pretty much set up a women's team, I would have thought. Small of salary right there. Anyways, boys, um, I'm glad you're bringing up England, Andrew. Make a quick transition there. Because Dynamo Moscow... <laughs> no, oh, oh, Tim. <laughs> what, did you call, what did you say about Dynamo Moscow before the pod? I'm trying to replicate it. It was beautiful. I said that, I, I, after the news which we will just discuss, I called Dynamo Moscow being consistently insane. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> Um, but you know, and that fits into this description. It, it it does, but I mean, on the surface, they brought in Selko Buvac, um, Jurgen Klopp's former assistant, as a sporting director. 
okay, the Bubach signing in itself is actually a pretty smart investment. I mean, this is a man who has worked very closely with Jurgen Klopp for many, many years, and uh, I believe 13 years altogether. I had a falling out with Klopp. Uh, I believe it was over something over the the um, over the over the influence that the assistants have over training uh, at Liverpool. Um, there was also rumors that Bubac wanted to perhaps go to another club, and Klopp wasn't too happy about it. Um, how the falling out exactly happened is one thing. The other thing is that you know he was, he is a brilliant mind, a brilliant football mind. He is a person that, in many ways, helped Klopp design the whole gegenpressing idea, the the idea that is first swept up Germany and currently is dominating the um, the Premier League in England, um, much to Andrew's dismay, I believe, because it looks like that championship crowd for Liverpool is, is coming to an end in about six games. I've read today they need six more wins, and I think they're going to get them very quickly. Um, but bringing in Buvac is, is the same part. What is maybe the insane part is, and this is where I get back right back to you, Tim, is um, he's a sporting director. Wouldn't you want someone like that as a coach? Exactly. This is this looks absolutely insane to me, exactly in that sense, because I don't really see uh, anything. And I think it's a, it's a positive move to bring such an experienced player who worked at the absolutely top level. And yeah, even he wasn't the top, the, the main coach. He was involved in Champions League finals and uh, you know top of the Bundesliga and English Premier League. So obviously the experience is absolutely insane. But it's 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 really strange that by <clears throat> A person of this caliber who's known of being a great strategic mind, who's known to be number two uh, Klopp's man for a long time, becomes a sporting director. So what kind of qualities uh, does a, uh, like an assistant coach really brings in the work of a sporting director? So this is really confusing uh, appointment in that sense, because obviously he has that experience, but um, it's, it's also to me... Uh, when uh, Dmitry Khachlov was fired from Dynamo and they appointed uh, Novikov, uh, who, who used to be like their youth team coach, and just I don't think they expected that he will do so well. So they couldn't really fire him before the end of the uh, year. They couldn't really fire him because he really didn't. Dynamo started really improved after Novik, under Novikov. And I think they brought Zelkabovic just to get him in. And once Novikov will uh, start making mistakes, go down uh, he will become a coach that's the only way how I see the situation if he was really brought to be a sporting director then Dynamo is being consistently insane yeah okay uh, so <laughs> Andrew do, do you agree with this I mean I honestly think that it is a miscast role um, because you want that kind of experience you want to have it on the training pitch no well, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think uh, what you guys have said, not the appointment itself or the manner of it, and the, uh, everything about it does smell slightly suspicious. I mean, it's, it's a two-and-a-half-year deal, which if you really are genuinely appointed with the long-term view of being a director of football, and that's how surely is to provide longer-term stability, um, two-and-a-half years isn't really enough to, to properly implement a whole philosophy. Um and the other thing that I thought stood out was in the official statement, Dinamo made a very, very clear point in their words anyway, 
that he absolutely will not be involved on the training pitch at all. It is still Kittle, Novikov, <laughs> absolutely 100% in charge. I thought, well, it's a slightly odd thing to point out when you're saying this is a director of football, because that obviously is a director of football is not involved in coaching. Um, so the fact that they're sort of doubling up on that suggests that the opposite is likely to... to uh, yeah, I was just going to say, Andrew, when I've worked with football clubs a lot, very closely... And when they tell you something like that and underline it three times, then they mean the absolute opposite. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, okay, look, I'll, I'll try and put um, the other side of the coin on it. Um, I think having a, a name and a reputation like this at the club can only be a good thing in terms of recruitment. And, and again, I go back to the official statement. They did say, you know, we hope to use um, his vast, level of contact is respect within the game to rec to recruit players now Dinamo have already recruited quite heavily and um, this season by Russian standards anyway uh Maximilian Philip is finally coming good he's scoring a lot um Clinton and G has come in and uh, god knows how many other names so if they're, they're very very clearly saying they want to invest heavily in the summer um what's going to happen to Dinamo's squad to their finances I don't know and Buvec will help with that if you're a player and you see someone of that reputation at the club, you think, all oh, right, okay, this is a club that's, that's serious about this. Um, however much we try and rush over it, a lot of players from other countries and cultures will still have a taboo in the back of their mind about Russia. They'll be reluctant to dive headfirst into a move out here. Um, so something like that will possibly help. But do you really bring in somebody of that much standing on what I assume is a very big salary purely to make one or two borderline signings get over the line? No, you bring him in for coaching. And I agree with you guys. I think long-term, that's probably what we're going to see. Yeah, no, I, I personally struggle um, with the idea that they brought in Zelko Pubac solely to be a sporting director. I, I personally believe that that's a very different role. Um, a sporting director, in my opinion, you know, unless you're Ralf Rangnick, who, who oversees an entire project um, like he did in, in Leipzig, with the, the freedom of bringing in coaches and, and establishing a playing philosophy that goes beyond one club. A sporting director is very much limited to the, the signing, signing of players. Now, if you've worked as an assistant, you, you have player identification as one of your strengths, right? But also one of your strengths is to really, especially assistant coaches are really the ear for the, co for the players, right? They're sort of the buffer between the head coach and the dressing room. That is the main role of an assistant. They are much closer to the squad often than the actual coaches. And to go from that um, to being the guy in an office, it's, it's, an, interest, it's an interesting move. Um, so I, I'm really curious to see how this works out, how this works out strategically. And do we know anything about what's going on with this Mendes deal? Remember that? That that happened a couple of years ago. How is this going to affect all of this? Because oh, a sporting well, director I mean, technically is yeah. supposed to sign players. But if Mendes is running the club in the background and is bringing in players, how, how is that affecting this? Well, this um, the reason I think you can relate this in a way to the the cooperation um, um, uh, agreement or whatever the terminology was, is that for me, it smells of a typical Dynamo move. In other words, they're going for the big name, um, oh, hoping cool. that the aesthetic changes will have a realistic long-term effect on the club. George Mendes, everybody knows full well, is 
has his finger in a number of pies um, and he's very well connected with big name players. Um, uh, but is that really what Dynamo need? They have a good playing squad um, with the signings they've made and they have a very good youth team, don't forget. Don't, they, their youth team won the youth championship, I think, two years in a row, about 2015, 2016, 17. Um, you know, and they've got uh, Vyacheslav Gurudev has gone out on loan um, in the second tier. He's a really promising winger. Um, Roman Yevgenyev is getting a lot of game time. I'm not entirely sure the huge focus that they seem to have on player recruitment is is desperately necessary, really. I mean, it, it sounds great. It's uh, headline-grabbing, but is it really what Dynamo need? I, I just, I'm not entirely sure it is. Um, move out as a coach, however, could well be what they need. Just just to add a little bit, I just want to remind you uh, that who makes the decisions in, in the Dynamo, they're owned by VTB, and really the people who really make the decisions, they're bankers, so... Uh, I think that fits in, in the, into the whole weirdness of this situation when the assistant coach becomes a sporting director and just just like people who don't really understand football make the the, the decisions. I, I, I have to add here that Tim works in finance, so <laughs> something going on in your private life that you want to share here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I do work in finances, but I... <laughs> But I never appointed an assistant coach as a sporting manager of a football club. That's because club. you used to actually play professional football. That's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just had to throw that in there. I, I felt a little bit of anger towards bank, the banking industry in there, Tim. That's why, you know, I had to kind of <laughs> say it. Um, I also often go to the bank and walk out and feel a little bit of an anger, so I, I can relate. Um, but... <laughs> Speaking of consistency and uh, signing contracts and finances in general, am I reading this right that Valerie Karpin um, signed a five-year extension? That That's already crazy enough. But I, am I also reading this right that Rostov offered him a 10, possibly a 15-year extension? You know, every time I see a coach <laughs> signed to a long-term contract like that, the clock is ticking, man. He's going to be gone in two months. <laughs> I mean... I, I, I'm, uh, I, I'm really pleased to see uh, what Rostov are doing on the surface. Anyway, the, the, the club, it's not, it wasn't a firm offer. It was the, the Rostov president. Um, I don't ask me to pronounce his name because I'm awful. Um, okay, go on then. Artashis Arutunians. Um, <laughs> Even I don't know was, how to pronounce it. Yeah, well, there you go. I, get, I think I'm off the hook on that one, if, if even Tim's not, not overly keen on trying to pronounce it. Um, but yeah, basically, the, the announcement came uh, a day after his birthday was on Sunday, I think it was, and he signed a deal on, on Monday or Monday and Tuesday. And he was really going in heavily on the emotional attachment that Carpin's built with Rostov, how Rostov loved him. And I would give him a 10 or 15 year. I hope in the future I will give him a 10 or 15 year um, contract extension. So he was really going to town on the, the whole emotional connection. And I think, to be fair, it's a sensible it's a sensible move by the club because Carpin is clearly um, is clearly doing a good job down at Rostov. He's making them European contenders. Third place in the league. They're in the Champions League places as things stand. And they, well, in, in all honesty, they are looking like one of the more stable clubs in the league. Um, they've also managed to tie down a few other major players to longer-term contracts over the winter. So 
I mean, it's not something we're used to saying, is it, boys, that Rostov showing a bit of stability. Now, I don't know how aesthetic that stability is, but if they're offering these longer-term contracts and a lot of the players are getting you know, four or five-year contracts, not just two or three-year contracts, which in itself would be an improvement for them. Um, so I can only assume that they are finally coming to their senses. Yeah, it's... Actually I'm... tying down the contracts that matter. And Carpins is, is key to that. So five years sounds a lot, but actually, if anything, I think it's it's, it's got to be a positive. Yeah, you know, Atasha's our juniors is doing some very good work there. With, um, nice, Ma good job, Mano. Had to bring that in there. Uh, to, to really, you know, Yonov is signed to a new contract, Labov is signed to a new contract, Norman, um, Shomorudov is signed to a new contract. I mean, stability, it really looks like it. Rostov is always an odd one because are they possibly the worst best run team in Russian football? In some ways, they have a very good possible policy of identifying the right players, bringing him to the league and do really well. But then they're also always on the verge of bankruptcy, right, Tim? And I think this is how you do, you, you really making this big divide between the sporting side of the club, which is this Artasha Sarutanyans and Valery Karpin, and then a few agents who are involved in the club deeply, uh, that they really have a good good eye for young players because they find quite a few players at the lower leagues, at the FNL, at the teams who are about to get relegated from RPL, and they really develop them, like Lebov, like a whole bunch of like those players who really, really progressed at Rostov. I think that's the sporting side of the club, I think, is doing brilliantly, and this is where their result is coming from, that they're like pretty much fighting for the almost Champions League. Then there's a second problem which we discovered, discussed many, many times on this program when uh, you don't really have a one owner and you really uh, connected. Uh, sorry, you based, you depend on the finances from the from the region, from your city, uh, from the government. And this is where I think the problem is coming from. And Valeri Karpin unfortunately spoke in the middle of the first half of the of the season where he said, "Yeah, we haven't been months. Yes, we do have." financial problems um, and uh, he, he was open about it uh, he said you asked me I answered you yeah because yeah sometimes we we don't have uh, money and it's very hard for me to you know to motivate players in that sense because they haven't been paid so <clears throat> I think the story is pretty clean the sporting side they're really doing well discovering young players Valer Karping has really built a very strong team where they have a very strong collective uh, they making the right sporting decisions but unfortunately, they are not in charge of their finances and they depend on the, whatever happens from the government. And this was when we, they had the problems uh, when they were not allowed uh, to play at their beautiful World Cup stadium or like they didn't have access. And this is where it's coming from. So I, uh, to me, the situation is pretty clean. And uh, I think on the sporting side, they're doing everything well. But as long as the uh, as soon as the money will finish, I don't think this five year contract will, will mean mean will mean much. Yeah, it's, it's always a difficult one um, for, for Rostov. I think I'm always impressed how, how well they manage the, the few resources that they have. And, um, you know, despite all the, the problems with sponsorship, etc., that they got, um, actually put up really good product on the field. And I think that that's to be applauded. Um, Andrew, final topic for today. I know we're flying through this. It's, it's incredible. The match Premier Cup uh, in Qatar, uh, Qatar is always a tricky one, right? I know that Bayern go down there quite regularly and the fans really hate it. 
Um, the sponsorship alignment with Qatar in general is really heavily criticized by the club and by the club's fans. And the for various reasons, a very liberal, left-leaning fan base at Bayern. Um, it, it, you know, I'm talking about the Südkurve here, um, where the people where the people stand in the in the Allianz Arena. Um, but you know, it is also money. It's important, and these these winter tournament is very important for Russian clubs to just get the legs going in what is possibly one of the longest winter breaks in among the top leagues in Europe. Now, um, we had a few results come in. Why don't you just take us through those real quick towards the end of the podcast, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, the, the Math Premier Cup for me is the one of the highlights of the of the winter training break. And you've got some, you've got some big teams. There's only four, it's a four-team league, uh, mini-league, and each team plays each other once. Sparta at Moscow... Um, Rostov, they played each other in the first game. Yeah. Um, yeah, Tim <laughs> happy with this. Uh, and actually, two very, very well taken goals by Rezio and Mirzov, who's struggled for game time and is, I don't think, is desperately popular with Spartak fans. Tim may correct me on that no, one. No, he is not. Think... <laughs> there you go. Fairly definitive. <laughs> he did do very well, though. He, he, was, he took his goals very, very well. Uh, Rostov pulled a goal back with two minutes to go and um, finished 2 1. Andre Schurler hobbled off with a bit of an ankle injury, um, but it didn't look too serious, more precautionary than anything else. Uh, and then the other two teams, Lokomotiv and Partizan Belgrade. Um, Lokomotiv drew 1-1 with Partizan, but then lost on penalties. And the way the tournament's designed is you get three points for a win within 90 minutes, uh, two points if you win on penalties, one point if you lose on penalties, and, of course, zero for a defeat. And then yesterday, Rostov were pretty comfortable winners over Partizan, 3-1 winners. So at the moment, they are level with Spartak at the top of the table. Um, although when it comes down to it, Spartak would have the edge because they beat them. So today we've got Spartak against Lokomotiv. I'm really looking forward to that one, actually, because this uh, will be taken a bit more seriously than your average friendly. Um, and then closing games at the weekend. So are you excited about this uh, final, Tim? What have you seen from uh, from from this preseason tournament? Um, well, I obviously watched the game against Rostov. Uh, so it's really interesting to see because um, Dominic Tagadasco he said that he really didn't have uh, much time to work uh, when he got the team because he got mm. the team in the middle of the season, didn't really have much time to implement. Then he did a very interesting decision, which was taken um, cautiously in Russia. They didn't play any games in the first uh, training camp and they were just pretty much running they were just doing so much every all the players said that as that was probably their hardest uh pre-season training they just did so much running just absolutely insane and you saw the result in the first game that was their first game of pre-season against rostov and they tried to press pretty much for the first uh, 45 minutes and uh, because they, they, there's not too many fans you can clearly see Domenico Todesco he is he learned his Russian it's crazy he really really, really uses a lot of um, uh, communication in Russian and says like really like complicated words and he really communicates to everyone but he really organizes them to run to press and to be very very aggressive in that sense so that really reminds me um, 
when I watch Bundesliga uh, style, when it's, there's a lot of you know, pressing, gegen pressing, to refund to our sister podcast. But uh, it's interesting to see he really brings this completely different, uh, fairly unique European style to Spartak. And uh, obviously, they're, they're not physically ready. They're not even at 50%. Uh, but we will see how that, uh, because they have a lot of time to before the end of the season. And uh, we might be, it will, it will be interesting to see uh, how the team will play come the when the season starts because Manu really really reminds me Bundesliga football and not that many teams play that intense. I think it will be interesting if it will works out. I think it will be it could be a relevation of I don't know the word, but it will be interesting. Yeah, the season comes back February 29th, I believe, or 28th. So we still got a little bit to go. Yeah, it's still a little bit to go, but um, we're getting there, boys. We're getting there. Yeah, that's it. We actually managed to wrap this up pretty quick. I, I'm impressed. Um, I don't think this is we've ever managed it this fast. Um, before we go, before we go, this is a record. This must be a record. Um, but hey, well done. But before we go, Andrew, um, anything you have to plug before we before we close this up? Um, yeah, I mean, just the new project started up a few weeks ago. Um, heart of football heart of dot football is our new website so yeah we're trying to do some interesting original stories interviews um we've got an interview with uh our a friend of football grad um matthew barrett of goal click which i'm really excited about um so that will be up in the next few days so keep your eyes peeled there awesome stuff and tim you i know you're busy with a lot of music stuff mm. uh, what's going on there yeah, like uh, my band just uh, released this new EP. We have a release uh, show on Saturday. And uh, thanks to lots of uh, Football Grad listeners and friends of Football Grad and people from Football Grad Network who listened to our version of the song Rasputin, which was originally written by Pony M. And our version got some good traction from the Football Grad uh, friends. So thank you for that. Thanks for everyone who listened and who sent me a message saying that it was cool. Thank you. Yeah, we'll, we'll try to get on that to make that the new soundtrack for, for this podcast. Um, as soon as our editor is back from holiday, I'll uh, make sure that that, that will get sorted. Yeah, um, my stuff, I, I've survived the my first deadline day transfer market. Deadline transfers is all we do over there. So there was a lot of them. Um, I, I don't think I quite understood how many transfers we cover and how many quickly they go. So... Um, yeah, that coverage is all over on transfermarkt.us, transfermarkt.com and transfermarkt.co.uk. Um, you can find, you know, the usual podcast. This one, the, the Gegenpressing podcast has been just released. And um, that's about it. Follow me on at Manuel Fate um, on Twitter. And yeah, until next week, das wird dann hier.
Want to be sure you always look your best? The Reflections LED Rose Gold Makeup Mirror from Conair makes it easy with all the features you need to groom and apply makeup with precision. Lifetime LED lighting won't ever dim or diminish. No replacement bulbs needed. One-time magnification provides a full view or 10 times magnification for close-up tweezing and details. Designed with a beautiful rose gold finish, the mirror rotates at 360 degrees with a 7.5-inch viewing surface to attend to every feature. Makes a great gift. Go to Conair.com for the Reflections LED Rose Gold Makeup mirror now thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube